Welcome to Spotlights, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. In this series, Safe Lives are shining a spotlight on people affected by domestic abuse who are also experiencing mental health problems. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Savin Bapir Tardi, lecturer in psychology at the University of West London and counseling psychologist at ICRO about the mental health needs of people experiencing honor-based violence. Welcome, Savin, and thank you for joining me today. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell me a little bit about the work that's done at ICRO, um, sort of how you work with clients, and then specifically a little bit more about your role there. Thank you very much for having me uh, here. Um, uh, ICRO is a charity organization that was set up in 2002. um, ICRO stands for Iranian Kurdish Women's Rights Organization. And when it initially started, the aim was to work with Kurdish and Iranian women who have experienced uh, honor-based violence, FGM, or forced marriage. Um, however, our services have now uh, expanded to all women who might have uh, experienced any form of violence, gender-based violence. So our service, we currently offer advice and advocacy and counselling. Those services are offered in a number of languages. That includes Kurdish, Arabic, uh, Farsi and Pashto. We also do a love campaign and we provide training to professionals uh, as well as people within the community. We also have a refuge uh, um, as well where uh, we, um, it's the only refuge that specifically helps women uh, who might have experienced honor-based violence, FGM or uh, forced marriage. I keep mentioning honor-based violence, uh, FGM and forced marriage. I just like to spend a minute or so to explain what uh, honor-based violence is. Honor-based violence, although some people contest the actual terminology itself, I'm not going to get into it. There, it is important for a lot of uh, practitioners to understand what it is because understanding what honor-based violence is will help professionals to help victims who might have experienced this form of abuse. So honor-based violence is a form of abuse that is collective, Um, abuse that is carried out by the community or by the family if they perceive uh, that there has been uh, a dishonor brought into the family or the community. Often, this type of violence is predominantly uh, against women and girls. Even though men can also become victims, often men can make up for their honor, whereas for women it's very difficult uh, to make up for their honor. And often a lot of young children from very young age, um, they are told uh, a lot of different saints to demonstrate that once um, a woman or a girl loses their honor, there is nothing they can do to uh, restore it. So these saints are things like, um, for example, women um, are like silk and men are like gold. If the gold drops in the mud, you can wash the mud away. Whereas if the silk drops in the mud, it's stained forever. So 
So these saints are demonstrating this strongly held belief of um, that if a woman does anything that is perceived as dishonorable, there is nothing she can do to restore honor. And things that a woman can do include, um, for instance, wearing makeup or uh, dressing the way that she wants or having a, um, a sexual relationship outside marriage or even speaking uh, to the opposite gender. And it is not about whether somebody has actually um, done any of those acts. Even suspicion or rumors about this can be perceived as dishonorable. And if they assume that somebody has done something dishonorable, then the family or the community will then um, find a way to punish this person. Therefore, all the... um, uh, forms of abuses or violences that come under honor-based violence are premeditated. And it's important to consider that honor-based violence is a, a big umbrella for other different forms of violences, such as female genital mutilation and forced marriage. So if somebody has done something that is perceived as dishonorable, then they might force them into a marriage in order to make up for the um, dishonor that they perceive to have been, to, for that person to have brought. Um, and often FGM is done uh, in order for the woman to not engage in any sexual acts, um, although there are many reasons that they give. One of the main ones is that in order for the girl to uh, preserve her virginity uh, for marriage, because if a girl gets married and she's no virgin, then that is perceived to be dishonorable. Having an understanding of this, uh, of what is um, honor-based violence is very important because some professionals might confuse a victim of honor-based violence with domestic violence. And there is a danger in doing this because um, you might act differently. Whereas in domestic violence, there is a single perpetrator. In honor-based violence, there are multiple perpetrators. And also the psychological impact that the abuse the woman that has experienced, will differ between uh, the two. So a woman uh, who has experienced honor-based violence and then decides to report the abuse, that would mean that she might have to cut ties from the community and with her family. She has to change her life uh, completely as she knows it. Whereas with domestic violence, often uh, there is one perpetrator. So the actions that they would take will differ. So can you speak a little bit more about your role um, at ICRO and what you've observed in terms of the mental health needs of people experiencing honor-based violence, particularly factoring in how it is rooted in the community and there's the multiple perpetrators and how that how that relates to their experience? Um. I, at ICRO, um, I work within the um, counseling service and uh, throughout uh, the years I have been there at ICRO, I have seen many women who, when they initially are referred to our service, are very scared because we are also from their community. So they often find it very difficult to open up initially. And what we find is that um a lot of the services that they have seen before coming to us have not actually understood uh, the danger 
that the client is in and have not been provided with adequate uh, uh, protection or support, sometimes it's not because uh, because what I want to avoid is uh, blaming professionals directly. It's not about that. It's because professionals have not had appropriate training. Uh, other times it's because the women have requested interpreters and the interpreters have not actually interpreted their um, what the client is telling them. To give you a very small example, uh, I... Um, a few years ago, I was referred a client uh, who was um, uh, in who was at risk of honor-based violence, and uh, this was not appropriately recorded uh, because the interpreter had told her to not speak of the um, honor-based violence issues because it is uh, shameful for the community. So she was discouraged. Uh, by the interpreter. And this makes the woman feel even more isolated because uh, women who are fleeing on a base violence often um, make one attempt. And if they don't receive the appropriate support when they make that attempt, um, they're likely to try again because they're putting themselves in great danger by coming forward. And when it comes to mental health, mental health itself, it's a taboo within the community. And a lot of the women um, who are from communities where honor-based violence is practiced, um, who are experiencing domestic violence, find it very difficult to flee their violent relationship because uh, often the perpetrators will um, threaten that if they do leave, then they will they will say to social services that the woman is suffering from mental health issues and she won't have access to her children. Or often the family of the woman might say to her to remain in the relationship because if she leaves, she can't take her kids with her or it will be um, bad for the kids to be without a father despite the violence that she's experiencing. Or the most common issue is that it is shameful. And the issue with shame is um, if somebody feels ashamed, is there is nothing she can do to make up for that feeling. And often we confuse that with guilt because when you're feeling guilty, you can make something, you can make up for it, you can apologize for it. But to feel shame, um, it is almost like to be mentally um, uh, naked so people see all your flaws. So there is a lot of shame and the children are used in order to make the woman stay in those um, violent uh, um, marriages. And this adds tremendous um, strain into their mental health. And more specifically, a lot of the women that we see often suffer from a severe uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or what we might call as complex PTSD. So sort of looking more specifically at trauma and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, how important is it for people to really understand how to work with traumatized clients, particularly clients experiencing honor-based violence? It is very important because uh, not um, uh, understanding uh, the uh, complexity of trauma might uh, uh, potentially put a lot of this woman in more danger. Uh, and I mean, not just practically as danger side, but in terms of their mental health as well. Um, current guidelines are often focused on single traumatic events. 
but not a lot of practitioners are trained on the complexities of trauma because a lot of those clients come forward, they do present with a lot of uh, the uh, trauma symptoms, but at the same time, they also have a lot of uh, practical needs that maintain a lot of their symptoms. And not, not given the appropriate treatments, uh, it could potentially make the clients um, be re-traumatized in the process. So it sounds like uh, a lot of professionals don't understand the com- the idea of uh, complex trauma uh, and that it's not focused on a single event, um, but also that they're they're missing that there may be ongoing risks, uh, very real risk to clients facing honor-based violence, and um, that might the lack of that knowledge will shape how they treat those clients. I love current treatments. Of, um, mainly focus on single traumatic events. We've got a lot of um, research done as to which therapeutic approach is more appropriate for PTSD. But the most common type of traumas that are explored are a single traumatic events or war-related trauma or child sexual abuse. However, we don't have much research or many guidelines or or how to work with people who have experienced uh, domestic violence, for example. Because a lot of uh, victims, there is a lot of uh, research to support that. A number of victims of domestic violence often do present with PTSD. But things become more complicated when we are working with uh, uh, ethnic minorities where honor-based violence is practiced. One of the the practical needs that I was referring to are multiple. Sometimes a lot of their symptoms are minimized by the clients themselves because they find it difficult to communicate. So there's a barrier of uh, language. And um, often where honor-based violence is practiced, once they leave a violent relationship, they need to have a safe accommodation. They need to be somewhere safe where their practical, their basic needs are met before looking at their psychological uh, needs. Sometimes when women are uh, immediately referred to psychological therapies, uh, the, the therapy is not effective, not because the therapist is not good, but because maybe it's not the right time for the client. Other times, the clients themselves will not say, I'm a victim of honor-based violence. That, it's a westernized terminology and of applied to this issue. So a lot of the clients will often say, I was in a marriage, by I was scared about what my family would say if I leave, or it is shameful. So it's about identifying the key concepts. For example, I have clients who are encouraged uh, to write letters to their family to make them understand why she had to leave. But with honor-based violence uh, case, writing a letter to the family could potentially put that woman in more danger because uh, when you flee um, a, a relationship, you you are never safe. The perpetrators will always be looking for revenge to kind of cleanse the honor of the family. So there's a real need for practitioners to recognize the ongoing mental health issues, but the ongoing risk that 
victims of honor-based violence face. Savin, I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about, um, because you mentioned this westernized um, sort of terminology, honor-based violence, and just talk a little bit about um, perhaps how professionals might confuse cultural sensitivity and cultural relativism um, and how Mm -hmm. that might play out um, for survivors of honor-based violence. Mm In every professional, um, even as a therapist, as a social worker, uh, whatever profession we're in, uh, when we are trained to work with vulnerable people, um, there is this concept about being sensitive uh, to the cultural needs of the individual. But none of the courses um, actually go into detail explaining what does it mean to be culturally sensitive. And often, in practice, uh, people confuse or misinterpret this for cultural relativism. So um, cultural sensitivity means uh, being sensitive to their cultural needs, um, whereas cultural relativism means placing everything under the umbrella of it's in their culture. So what happens is if somebody's been um, experiencing abuse by acceptable in their culture, then we will accept it. That would mean being culturally relativist. But when we're talking about abuse, something like honor-based violence, there is nothing cultural about it. Culture can never be used as a justification. So what professionals need to do is to be uh, able to ask questions. But there is now this um, uh, cultural or racial anxiety that a lot of professionals report. They say that they find it difficult to ask questions because they don't want to offend the individual. For more specific uh, example, I've had um, worked with a, with a client that was referred to us by social services. And when we did the assessment, it was clear that the client was at risk of honor-based violence. And then when we feed that back to the social worker, the social worker felt unable to ask certain questions because she didn't want to offend uh, the client. And this is something that happens and it could put a lot of uh, vulnerable people in further danger if we don't overcome this barrier. So professionals need to understand that there is a line of when we need to be culturally sensitive and when there is abuse, there is not any justification uh, for it. So no culture, no religion and professionals must conduct their assessments appropriately and to assess for risk. And so part of being culturally sensitive is, you know, being aware that there will be perhaps additional barriers that uh, BME women face regarding honor-based violence. And I know you've talked about some of those barriers, um, you know, language being one of them, um, even sort of when there's an interpreter being used, um, some of the barriers there. But can you talk a little bit more about some of the additional barriers that BME women face and, again, how that perhaps um, relates to their mental health? One of the key issues that they face is um, and specifically relating to their mental health is the issue of sometimes being either um, overdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And what I mean by this is uh, um, a long time ago, a client was referred to us who was um, diagnosed with with, uh, paranoid uh, schizophrenia. 
And uh, when we assess the client, this was a, um, a suggested diagnosis given by her GP, and she was waiting a referral to her psychiatrist to be given a formal diagnosis. Uh, when we assessed her, the client uh, uh, said that she um, she feels that she's been followed and that somebody knows um, uh, where she is constantly. And she thinks that because she had left her, 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 her husband, she felt that it was her husband or her family that were constantly following her. And she could, um, she says she feels so scared that sometimes she thinks she can hear them. Um, the, there was further investigation because we had to refer her also to uh, to advice team. And um, what emerged is that actually um, the client was followed by her family. But because of lack of understanding of our honor-based violences, this was misinterpreted for a mental health issue. So it's not the client's being um, sometimes... Uh, um, it's not in the mind a lot of the things that they're saying it actually occurs. So this is why it's important to have a clear understanding of what honor-based violence is. Um, other times, um, a lot of the symptoms that the woman present, uh, they're kind of undermined. So often they're very quickly given the uh, symptoms of depression or anxiety and given antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, which then the clients do become addicted to because the clients cannot see uh, a therapist either because of the language barrier, so interpreters not being available, or often the woman find it very difficult to open up and speak to a therapist uh, by having um, an interpreter there because a lot of the issues they face is from the community and the family, and then there is somebody from the community present there. So it makes it very difficult for them to open up. Uh, another issue with their mental health is a lot of the women from uh, uh, the BME, uh, I say BME, but more specifically where honor-based violence is practiced, um, having a mental health issue is a taboo. And often the woman will... Um, present these symptoms in terms of uh, somatic uh, issues, so pains. They will have very commonly, um, there's a lot of pains in the shoulders, around the neck, and often they will have the diagnosis of fibromyalgia as well, um, which, in fact, is a result of extreme stress and anxiety. And they very easily have been prescribed uh, a medication for these physical pains, uh, for example, most commonly cocodamol. Uh, and the women tend to become addicted to the pain medication, or they will be self medicated with over uh, the counter medication uh, with ibuprofen and paracetamols. Um, there is a danger in that because. Um, um, some women sometimes don't recognize the dangers because they think this is a medication that is being given by the doctor or is something they can buy from the pharmacy. They see it as something good rather than understanding the consequences of taking this uh, without um, understanding what is the cause, the core issue. But uh, a major issue that um, affects a lot of the mental health issues is a lot of the uh, practical needs and often not having enough uh, 
um, uh, support um, uh, to meet those practical needs um, and um, the idea that once they leave they are never really um, safe they have to live their life as they know it uh, completely one of the main takeaways for me is that there are additional barriers um, some of them very practical barriers that have then a knock-on effect in the mental health, um, which, as I understand, um, is linked to an increased risk of suicide for BME mm -hmm. women. Is that correct? Yes, and uh, oh, yeah, that's a very, very important thing, actually, um, because um, um, suicide rates among the BME uh, community, especially women from the BME communities, are extremely high. Lots of research that has been conducted in Holland, in the UK, and America have found that uh, BME women are far more likely to commit suicide uh, compared to the indigenous women of those countries. And one of the main reasons that have been given is not due to mental health issues, but due to the practical needs. So thinking about moving forward and how we can do better for uh, women at risk of honor-based violence and women who are part of the BME community, what changes would you like to see so that services can better meet their needs? Um, there are many different changes on different levels. Uh, first of all, um, I think the issues around honor-based violence, FGM, forced marriage as well as domestic violence should be entered into the curriculum of training when training uh, for professions such as um, um, social social services or for a therapist throughout my training when i did my training for therapy i was never uh, told how to work with uh, survivors of domestic violence, for example. I don't think we have enough understanding and there is enough being given uh, to this day uh, to people whilst they're training still. Um, we, we cannot just wait till they're qualified to give them that training opportunity. This needs to be integrated within their uh, curriculum. Um, that's one thing. I think there needs to be far more training available and not generic training where we tell them this is what honor-based violence is, this is what domestic violence is, but training that it's tailor-made to each professional's need that gives them a little bit more confidence in how to work with those issues. So it's not enough for us to train somebody on, for example, social services on what is honor-based violence and then expect them to be able to identify and work with those issues immediately. There needs to be more, um, more practical and tailored uh, made training to professionals' needs. I think there also needs to be something more bigger in terms of helping uh, uh, vulnerable women because a lot of women at the moment have the issue of housing. There's a lot of uh, financial difficulties. A lot of these women um, have never been in charge of their own finances. And often uh, the man, um, because there, is, there are multiple types of abuses that they can experience, sexual, psychological, physical, financial. Um, and the financial abuse is very, um, it's one where um, women often feel that 
they would not be able financially to manage once they leave or to be able to care for their children. So I do think it is important to um, offer more training and uh, appropriate training at appropriate stages of uh, the professional's uh, 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 training process. And uh, generally... Um, to have more awareness raising uh, of the issues that uh, uh, BME women face. Seven, thank you so much for taking the time to shine a spotlight on the experience and the additional barriers faced by BME women and women at risk of honor-based violence and domestic abuse and how this relates to their mental health problems. You've certainly done your part in, in raising that awareness, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Spotlights, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. For more information about ICRO, please visit icro.org.uk. That's ikwro.org.uk. Make sure to check out the other podcasts, webinars, and blogs in this and other Spotlight series, including a specific Spotlight on honor-based violence all available at safelives.org.uk.